0: Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. Petersburg's chapter of the American Legion, America's oldest veterans organization, was chartered over a century ago, but membership has fallen off. Now, a few core Legion members are trying to boost registration to keep the chapter alive and build community among Petersburg veterans. I went to Legion Post-14's recent revival meeting.
1: To uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, to maintain law and order, to preserve the memories and
0: incidents- Garrett Kravitz calls the meeting to order with a recitation of the American Legion Constitution preamble. He's the assistant adjutant of Petersburg's Post-14, The Legion's pledge echoes the oath of enlistment, which is taken by all members of the United States Armed Forces. It's something that's familiar to Kravitz. He served in the U.S. Coast Guard for 22 years, and he's still active duty. Kravitz says Legion membership in Petersburg is flagging, but that wasn't always the case. Petersburg's post has been around since 1920, just a year after the national chapter was formed.
1: Wow. So, over the past 100 years, we've had a charter here in Petersburg. And I really think now is the time to bring some life into it
0: and get some membership up. Um, I know there's a lot of veterans here. Kravitz's vision is to build membership to the point that the chapter can help out in the community. He says this could look like fundraising for scholarships or restoring the American Legion Pavilion at the Petersburg Memorial Cemetery. But to start, he says the most important thing is to build a space where Petersburg veterans can connect with each other. Tony Vinson is a retired Navy veteran. He relocated his family to Petersburg in search of that connection.
2: I did my homework. I was looking for a small town. I was over the big stuff.
1: I'm a native of California, but I feel like I don't really belong there anymore, so I was looking for somewhere else to go with my family and look for a small town. And
2: I was trying to find a small town maybe that I'd have something in common with. Petersburg popped up on my search when I was looking through Alaska as Little Norway, nickname. Uh, my wife is Norwegian. So as I continued to dig deeper. I found out that there was, out of the 3,200-ish population, that's around 400 are veterans, and that's a significant portion of the population. So instantly then I thought, well, there I go. Let me go see these guys. So,
0: The latest population estimate from the U.S. Census Bureau counted 298 veterans in the Petersburg borough. Tracy Vinson is Tony's wife. She's also a veteran, having served in the Navy for nine years. She says the Legion helps keep veterans, like her and her husband, in connection with each other. I just think it's important that people come together as a group and just have um, commonalities and they have uh, a lot in common so that they can, I don't know, just like a group and feel like, you know, how long ago did it stop, like, you know, so hopefully we can pique the interest and get it going again. Petersburg's post has just over eight members, the minimum number to maintain its charter. Kravitz says that's why they're calling this a rejuvenation meeting.
1: It's already going. We have it. We just need to get some people involved and talk about it. And that's really what rejuvenation is. It's just breathing life into something that's already there. And. It's there. We saw it tonight with a good turnout, and I think the more people talk about it, the more meetings we have, the more things we do for the community, and the more that we can give back to the community.
0: Kravitz Uh, says he got started in the American Legion while he was stationed in Ketchikan. When he moved to Petersburg, he was introduced to Post 14 by Stanley Hjort.
1: He's the glue of the American Legion Post 14 here in Petersburg. He's the one that made tonight possible.
0: Hjort says he joined the Legion at the behest of his old friends, veterans of the Second World War. He's been active in the organization for over 50 years, putting up flags on Memorial Day and escorting other veterans on honor flights, which take elderly servicemen to Washington, D.C. to see the monuments that were built in their honor. Hjort says he's witnessed Legion membership ebb since the 70s, and now the stakeholders who stuck with the Legion are aging.
2: There's just fewer and fewer, fewer and they uh, all the old guys that we did things with, you know, they're gone. Um, Some of them are getting pretty old. One of these days, I'll be gone. I'm getting pretty old.
0: The late Paul Anderson, a veteran of the Vietnam War, was a core member of Post 14. He died on January 16th of this year at the age of 77. Anderson's friends, like Hjort, remember him for his acts of service to Petersburg veterans.
2: It hasn't come around yet because it's not Memorial Day. Paul did a lot of things for the town and, and everybody. And come Memorial Day, people are going to be wondering, well, what happened, you know? My flag isn't up because we, we would put the plaques up and the flags. And Paul is one of the ones, mostly him, took care of the flags at the cemetery and and he had a a lot to do with getting the flags and i don't know where they come from but uh, he made sure the flags were up and they weren't ragged or anything you know and uh he did a lot for for people that they don't they haven't missed him yet but they will yeah
0: the next legion meeting is set for march 28th Kravitz welcomes all local veterans to register, those who received an honorable discharge and those who served even one day on active duty. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Protesters concerned about limits on the power of Alaska grand juries spent two days this week advocating for their cause on the Kenai Peninsula and beyond, as Riley Riley Board reports from Kenai, the issue is about a recent change to the grand jury process, which protesters
3: believe limits the powers of juries in Alaska. A coalition of protesters based in Kenai are standing up against what they see as unconstitutional limitations on the power of grand juries to investigate corrupt public officials and of the public's ability to access the juries. Grand juries are made up of citizens and decide whether there is enough evidence to charge a person with a crime. If a grand jury determines there is enough evidence, the case then goes to a trial jury. A group of advocates, including organizer David Haig, has been present at the last several Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly meetings to spotlight what they say is suppression of the power of grand juries.
2: So those folks are misleading you? trying to strip the power of grand juries to get to the bottom of what's going on so they can insert and steer what happens away from what we believe is systemic corruption involving numerous judges. And now we believe it involves all five Alaska Supreme Court justices.
3: Haig himself has been speaking out on the issue for years following his own 2005 trial for unlawful game hunting, through which he was convicted on several counts. He alleges the Alaska Supreme Court is corrupt and has limited the power of grand juries to investigate corrupt judges and officials. The protests were energized again this last December when the court system amended its process for taking citizen requests for a grand jury investigation, making it so a citizen can approach the district attorney if they have an issue they'd like the grand jury to investigate. The court system says this was to accommodate a high volume of investigation requests from citizens. At the Assembly's legislative committee meeting Tuesday afternoon, Nancy Mead, general counsel for the Alaska court system, said citizens have never been able to approach grand juries directly. Even though a grand jury has
0: the constitutional authority to investigate, that does not mean that an individual citizen has a right to present anything directly to the grand jury. And this has never been
3: the case. This week, Hague and other advocates turned out to the assembly meeting to support a resolution which requests the Alaska legislature hold hearings about the allegations of corruption. Assembly President Brent Johnson spoke against the resolution. He said he felt the issue was above his pay grade.
2: The bottom line is
4: this. I'm really queasy when you're saying that we got uh, the Supreme Court judges in Alaska and they're crooks. And you're saying you want them indicted. That's
2: way out of my league.
3: Still, the Assembly passed the Resolution 5-3, with one absence. The resolution only asks that the legislature host hearings and does not have any effect on borough code. The following morning, around a dozen protesters showed up at the Kenai Courthouse at sunrise, many with signs reading, let the grand jury investigate. Although court system representatives say Alaskans have never been able to approach grand juries directly, Haig says he organized the protest to restore the right of the people to do so, and to show the grand jury members they have support from the public.
2: There's some evidence that the Supreme Court bypassed their own rules committee to strip the grand jury of their power, so I'm gonna take that evidence in and try to give it to the grand jury and ask that they investigate, just like the public is supposed to be able to.
3: The grand jury was not in session Wednesday, so Haig was unable to present the evidence he says he has. Haig also organized court sit-ins in Anchorage, Palmer, Juneau, and Fairbanks. A handful of supporters turned out to the courthouse in Fairbanks, and at least 20 individuals showed up at the Anchorage courthouse, according to a photo shared by Haig. In Kenai, I'm Riley Bored. A series of record-breaking storms that hit
0: the Northwest Arctic and Bering Straits region. In early March, brought heavy snowfall and high winds up to 55 miles an hour. The city of Kotzebue issued a disaster declaration after the storm's impact threatened emergency services and knocked out vital infrastructure. As Desiree Hagen reports from Kotzebue, climatologists say these heavy mid to late winter storms might become more common and signify a climactic shift for the region.
5: The blizzard that hit Kotzebue in early March was one of the largest storm events in recent years. The National Weather Service recorded the highest one and three day precipitation amounts for the month of March from the Kotzebue Airport. Brian Brett Schneider is a physical scientist with the National Weather Service based in Anchorage. It's certainly exceptional.
1: You know, that the reports that I've seen for the, the snow and the wind and the, and the blizzard conditions, you know, really are. Are quite remarkable.
5: Brett Schneider says the moisture level was extraordinary, but there's a caveat. There are many metrics for how to measure the intensity of storms. That can include wind speed, moisture level, low pressure system, and storm tracks. Brett Schneider says while the precipitation was record-breaking, measuring snow amounts along the tundra is notoriously difficult. I mean,
1: you could have, you know, a five-foot snowdrift one day and, you know, the next day it's been blown away and moved, you know, moved moved a little bit farther away. And, and so how do you measure that?
5: Rick Tomen is a climate specialist for the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He says while the Northwest Arctic's recent storms were record-breaking, as a whole, Kotzebue has not had a particularly stormy winter. What's more fascinating, he believes, could be the changing seasonality of storms.
4: Large parts of Alaska, including Northwest Arctic Borough, are seeing more snow in the midwinter than there used to be. That's mostly counterbalancing a decline in autumn snowfall.
5: Toman says a team at the University of Alaska Fairbanks is actively researching the trend.
4: So this is all very cutting-edge work.
5: Both Toman and Brett Schneider agree that warming temperatures causing melting sea ice in the Bering Sea could bring about more intense storms, like the recent snowstorms or the devastating typhoon Murbach, which hit western Alaska in September. Toman says, in general, Alaska's experiencing more intense storms, from the Arctic to southeast.
4: From the, the rains that produced the fatal landslides, in Haines in December 2020, Kosabew, Nome, Utqiagvik, have all set their all time one day precipitation records in the last three years. Many places have had these big events, you know, the tremendous snows in Anchorage in December.
5: Brett Schneider says that higher latitude areas like the Arctic will continue to experience more precipitation due to warming temperature from polar amplification also known as the albedo effect.
1: And so without snow in the ground, the high latitude areas are just absorbing solar energy when in the past, much of that time, it was reflecting solar energy away. And the same is true of sea ice. You know, the Bering Sea used to be, have a lot more ice in it, you know, all the way through April and May, and even into June than it does now.
5: A 2022 study reports the Arctic as a whole has warmed at a rate four times higher than the rest of the planet over the last 40 years. In Kotzebue, I'm Desiree Hagen.
0: One of the world's largest sea stars is on on track to receive protection under the Federal Endangered Species Act. As reported by the Alaska Beacon, federal regulators announced this week that they are proposing a threatened listing for the sunflower sea star. The creature has been killed off in much of its Pacific habitat by disease. While the effect of a listing on Alaska and its fisheries is not certain, scientists say they don't expect significant changes in the state in the near term. Sunflower sea stars are found from Baja, California, to Alaska's Aleutian Islands. They can grow up to 24 legs and be as big as 3 feet in diameter. If the listing goes through, it will be the first for any sea star under the Endangered Species Act. A disease known as sea star wasting syndrome has wiped out about 90% of the animals across its vast range, according to federal scientists. It has hit a variety of sea star species, though sunflower sea stars have suffered especially severe harm. It causes legs to fall off and ultimately results in disintegration of the animals' bodies. Climate change may be behind the disease. The arrival of the Pacific marine heat waves has coincided with outbreaks of it. The heaviest impacts of the disease have been in the southern areas of the species range. There have been less severe impacts in Alaska and other northern areas. But the listing would cover sunflower sea stars over the entire range. That's because the Endangered Species Act does not allow listings of invertebrates to be broken down into distinct population segments, which is the case in Alaska with endangered western stellar sea lions and Cook Inlet beluga whales. Right now, there's no plan to ask for critical habitat designation, which is normally a part of the regulatory action to conserve listed species. Officials with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game and Alaska fishing organizations have previously expressed concerns about the wide geographic span that the listing would affect. My name is Shelby Herbert. I report for KFSK, and you're listening to Midday Magazine.